Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. All right, welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. Excited to be with you this week. I'm Rick Morton, uh, one of the hosts. I want to bring to to the mic now my my friend, my colleague, mi amigo, Phil Dark. Wow, I didn't know we were going bilingual. Although that <laughs> reminds me, you know, I, I, you did that and you didn't even know I was going to do this. But, you know, what I want to do today is I want to announce, remember a few episodes ago, we had Aisha De Lopez and David McCormick. Fantastic interview. Remember that one? A few Absolutely. episodes ago? Absolutely. Yeah, now your memory's not good sometimes. So yeah. I just had to remind you of that. But That's right. Remember we were talking about the Spanish speaking podcast that you're talking about starting? Yeah. Yeah. So today, I'm, it's not, live. I'm, not, I'm not kidding. Today, today, I got a text from David. Now this is going to be in a couple of weeks. This will probably be airing in a week or two and you might be listening to it a long time from now and then it's going to be old news to you. But he told me today that they launched it. It's on iTunes and you know, I'm actually going to pull up the text right now. Real time folks, you are, you're walking along with me to see it. It's actually on WhatsApp. So I'm doing a little unpaid advertisement for WhatsApp right now. If you don't have it, you should get it. It's really good for international conversations on via text. It's the best. It's the Regilion Pura <laughs> by Alianza Cristiana para los Huérfanos on Apple Podcasts. So, folks, it's the Pure Religion, Religion Pura podcast. And that's uh, David and Aisha. And I, I can't wait to listen to it. I'm only going to understand about half of it. But I can't wait. So, folks, if you have people who you know want to learn about this stuff, um, they're Spanish speaking. This is such a great opportunity. And all, like one hundred percent serious right now, folks. Like this is such a great, much needed uh, resource. And I haven't even heard it yet. So, and like I said, even if I listen to it, I need a translator to make sure I understood it all right. I get about eighty percent. And you know how dangerous that is, Rick. Yeah, you do that? Very, yeah. Very. It's like if you're at a conference and you get about eighty percent, you're like, I totally get it. I think maybe. You know, yeah. and then you Or don't maybe get I just it. totally missed yeah. it and yep. I don't really understand anything. Exactly. And yeah. so I just get the headphones if they have them. But <laughs> but you know, the nice thing about this is you can listen and you can pause and you can look it up or you can you know if you speak Spanish folks, get it, share it with people and get it out there so that, that we can do more good. Um, to love the orphan, the vulnerable. So on that note, we have some more um, just great conversation this, the, you know, today through the interview I was able to do. Really excited about this one today. Yes. As a, not that you aren't. Not that I'm ones. not excited about all of them, yes. but this one, this yeah. one is, is definitely uh, one that I've been excited about. And it's, it's a man that is not only a great man, but he's actually from one of my old hometowns and kind of a neighboring town almost or city. It's more than a town, uh, city to use in Atlanta, Georgia. Yep. Uh, president and CEO of Promise 686, Andy Cook. Um, just a great guy. Just a really humble, humble dude who's doing some amazing work. I don't know if I say dude because he's in Atlanta, but gentleman, gentleman in the south of the United <laughs> States doing some great work that we can all learn from. So, you know, without, without more from us right now, we're just going to get you this interview. And I, I really look forward to hearing your feedback, uh, info at thinkorphan.com, Facebook, uh, or you can, you know, make a comment on the show notes to this, uh, episode at thinkorphan.com. So here he is, Andy Cook. Well, Andy, it's so great to finally get you on the Think Orphan podcast. Yeah, I love joining you here. Thanks for having me. So, you know, Andy, you and I have been able to to uh, connect over the last few years, get to know each other a bit, start a good friendship. Um, unfortunately, we're not able to see each other as much as we'd like to. But uh, you know, most of the people, I'm assuming, that are listening in today from all over um, don't know you, don't know much about you, so or uh, what promise uh, is doing. So, if you could pretty, if you could just share a little bit about you know your story, a little bit about yourself, how you got to be doing what you're doing today. Definitely. Thanks for asking about my story because I think with all of us, um, what uh, God has done for us and how it affects our passions, our interests, um, certainly should combine and come together. And that's 
that's a big part of Promise. I'm not the guy who started Promise 686. I was actually an early beneficiary. Uh, Promise was doing something really simple when it got started. It wanted to um, eliminate the financial burden of adoption for as many families as it could. So Promise 10 years ago did just one thing. It gave, gave away grants, and my wife and I um, were about to adopt and had no idea how we were going to pay to adopt two children from Ethiopia. And our church was starting up a ministry. We were at Perimeter Church in the, on the north side of Atlanta. And this little ministry got a name, Promise 686, uh, from Psalm 68.6. God sets the lonely into families. Mm. And uh, we were one of the first grant recipients when we brought two children home from Ethiopia. So we had two biological kids, two Ethiopian kids. And I went and sat down with... One of the, the gentlemen, a guy by the name of Tim Ryder, who was starting up Promise, and he said, hey, would you be willing to serve Promise about an hour a month? And I said, oh, yeah. You know, they had just given money to our grant and helped bring two children home. And I said, well, absolutely, I'd be willing to do that. And obviously, uh, God laughed when I said yes, because um, my passion and my drive and my willingness all shifted and grew over the coming years. So I spent... Um, about a month serving for one hour a month and then got on the board of Promise 686 and uh, served in that capacity for about five years before I came on staff as the CEO. So that's a little bit about how I got plugged in to Promise. Um, but just to share maybe just a, a teeny bit more about Promise, um, addressing one hurdle to adoption or to serving vulnerable children really wasn't enough. And we quickly realized in those years as I was a board member that we needed to do a lot in terms of education. Um, so we were still focused um, just on Metro Atlanta. And we started doing Adoption 101 courses and creating mentoring relationships so people who wanted to ask about adoption could have someone to ask and stay in touch with. Because, you know, as much as we, I think we all wish that um, there would be a mechanism that could allow adoption to occur much faster. It's such an organic process. It's, mm. it's a little bit like the medical world where you, if, if you're diagnosed or you've heard that you might have this issue, you go in and you want to get a second opinion. You want to talk to anyone and everybody. You get on WebMD, you're going to get every resource possible because it's that big of a deal when it comes to medicine and um, whatever diagnosis you've received. And that that's the reality for the planning of our families is that we're always going to want to know um, we're going to know somebody who's been there before us and we need, we need those people. So we started making those pairings as an organization and got into that education space. Um, and then about the time I came on, onto staff, um, we, we really wanted to see something replicate. We wanted to take what we were doing in one church and the way we were giving grants around the city of Atlanta. And we wanted to expand that statewide. And so, uh, we looked at um, various ways to serve, and we started a conversation in Gwinnett County, which in Georgia is about the second most populous county. And um, the, the child welfare office there said they needed help and needed support. And so we, we looked at what we could provide, and we felt like the thing we had um, to bring to bear that would serve children best was people. The church has the people. We just needed to open the doors. So we, uh, we went about finding new church partners who would, with our help, deploy their people to come around foster families. Um, that model is used by lots of organizations around the country. Uh, we call it care communities. And those care communities today, we've got about 2,000 volunteers serving on care communities. And so that's, that's a little bit of how we migrated over the years from just trying to say, let's do one thing to how do we really leverage the body of Christ? So now we just say, hey, our, our mission, we mobilize church communities to care for vulnerable children. And we have three core strategies. We do it through prevention, um, trying to keep kids out of out of the state custody. Um, intervention, when there is a, a moment that a child has come into state custody and foster care is underway, we want to come around that family. And then connection. Um, we have various tools that we use, like grants, um, to get kids connected to a family forever. So yeah. that's promise. Uh, prevention, yeah. prevention, and connection. Yeah, that sounds great. And, and how can people get involved with, uh, with it if they're in the Atlanta area um, or if they want to talk with you about you know, what they're hearing about today as far as how they can get it going in their community? What's a, what's a good uh, kind of one-stop shopping to find out about what you guys are doing? 
Yeah, you know, so we have a, a network um, that serves not only around Georgia, but even in other states, and it's Live the Promise. So livethepromise.org is the spot where if you're in uh, Southern California or if you are in Georgia, uh, you can pop onto that website and you can find a spot. Um, probably the single best thing you could do if you're interested in engaging with us in a deeper way is to become a leader at your church of what what we call family advocacy ministry or, or FAM. Uh, we just believe the church has has the people, as I said before, and they can help meet physical, emotional, and spiritual needs in children, but they need a sustainable framework in their church. And uh, a strong family advocacy ministry um, is is the way forward. We'd love to see those ministries at work um, across the country and we want to help implement them and we want to help support them. So uh, if that's something that a listener heard and said, man, I, I could probably do that. I, I could I could put a couple hours a week into developing a fam at my church. Well, that, that's something we'd like to, to help them do um, because some great things can come once you get a plan together for a church um, in regards to child welfare. Yeah, no, I know a lot of people I talk with around the world are, are looking for, for uh, just ways to do that. You know, they, they really want to start something at their church. They really, and if you're listening in and that's you, go to that website, go check it out, you know, livethepromise.org. And uh, yeah, I think that it'd be a great place to start. And then you can connect with, with the folks at Promise and, and see how they can help you do that, as well as some other people uh, that we've probably we've had on the show that can also talk to you about that. I, I love the wraparound care that you're talking about, the just really pouring into families. Um, one thing I do want to say, though, out there, you know, if, if you heard, I don't want you to hear wrong, and he, I don't want you to think Andy was, you know, comparing adoption to a medical condition that was like a negative medical condition early on. You know, talking about WebMD and looking at it, most of you go to WebMD when you're freaking out thinking you're going to die. I know that that's what my daughter does. So I just want to make sure that you're. That it's a good thing. It's a good like WebMD. It's, it's a good thing there to find out how you can uh, hopefully take this calling that you're feeling and really be able to flesh it out and discern whether it's the right thing. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's where you're going with that. Am, am I right there? Well, I don't know. You haven't asked me the rest of my story yet. <laughs> we need to dig in a little bit deeper. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> because along the way, uh, we had had adopted two from Ethiopia and had two biologically. And um, lo and behold, had another biological child. And uh, that's that was Michael. And that was about five years ago. So we, with five kids, um, felt a sense one day that uh, God had put another family in front of us uh, where the father had uh, had been deported um, and there was a separation prior even to that and uh, the mom was in the last last weeks of a battle with cancer and we began to pray how could we help five five children and was it our role uh, maybe even just me at promise 686 to point them toward families because that's that's what we want to do we want to uh, live out the promise to set the lonely in families. And that would have been a, a normal response, but this one hit a little differently. And so um, after a lot of prayer, a lot of thought, five five more children for, for the cooks. So we've got 10, and uh, some days we uh, we do feel like it's a diagnosis. So I, <laughs> I, think, um, I, I think maybe there's a comparison there we could work on, uh, maybe offline, but it, you know, Stepping into God's will um, isn't easy, but it is incredibly fulfilling. And um, we are, you know, we're having this conversation, Phil, in the in the summer, which means kids are home and around all day long. And so, uh, yeah, my wife might be going a little crazy this time of year. Um, we will need school to kick back off pretty soon. Yeah, it's funny. Everyone's like, "Isn't it great in the summer? You can hang out." And it, it is for a little bit. It is. It's fantastic, you know. And then. Like you said, it, it keeps going. And so I think that that's something that people, I think parents are very excited when school gets back in for the most part. But yeah, I mean, I, I just love what you guys are, what you guys are doing as a resource. Um, it's not just something as you're talking about there that you're in this theory land either. You're living it every day. And I, I love that, um, that you're able to really give 
um, help and encouragement and advice to people um, from a personal way as well. But with that, you know, I, I know that's something else that you uh, didn't didn't speak to directly. You, you kind of talked about it indirectly a little bit, but the care portal that you guys um, are part of and, and have. And uh, can you can you talk to our audience a little bit about that? What that is and and how it how you use it to meet practical needs. Yeah. So when we implement a new family advocacy ministry we try to point them in a, in a direction that lines up with their church culture. And uh, with various tools that we utilize, uh, we can talk some about additional ones, but a great tool for churches to use that's spreading very quickly around the U.S. Uh, is Care Portal. And um, Care Portal is pretty simple. If, if, if I can use an analogy, it's probably just easiest to say it's Uber for child welfare. So... Um, Rather than um, <clears throat> a person who needs a ride and an available resource, the ride being paired together through software, um, we have a family in need, and then we have a church family, a church community that has resources. And what what Care Portal does is, as software, as as a tool, as a platform, is brings those two together, and it does it in a in a, in a really amazing way. Um, the, the process would be um, taken in the state of Georgia when there's an investigation into a household and say the child, for instance, remains um, in the home. I think about a request that came our way this morning. Um, <clears throat> when that child stays in the home, he or she would be identified as part of the family support system. And the state's going to pour in and do what they can to provide family support. But sometimes, oftentimes, the state doesn't have the resources to give that family what they need. Uh, a simple example that pops up a lot is that that family needs a crib. They don't have a crib. Um, there's co-sleeping going on in the house where a small child's in with the adults. There's been maybe some question about substance abuse, and there's a real concern that that child could be injured or, or, or worse um, in the process of sleeping. So a crib would be a huge difference maker in that moment. So uh, what what a local implementer like Promise 686, what we would do is um, to get Care Portal used in this situation, we would train up the state child welfare agency or a particular county. And in that implementation process, we'd get them ready to go, educated on what the, what the stuff of a really great request would be. And that caseworker would see the need for the crib, would post it into the system, would monetize it. So they'd say, hey, maybe that crib is a $300 value. And they'd monetize that, and then they'd pump it through the system um, by submitting it. And on the other side, we've identified churches, trained churches, trained church point people to then push that request out via email to anybody who wants to opt in within their church community. So, um, Phil, you're sitting there on the other side um, at, at, at work. You're kind of bored with the podcast. Maybe you don't, don't like listening to the guy and you uh, never happens. You, never happens. Never, not today. It will not happen today. <laughs> but you see an email and it's a care portal request. And here here's this crib that's needed. And you think, man, um, you know, we've got this crib. We don't have a baby right now and we could help. So what you're going to do is you're going to click through on that and you're going to go and meet that need. And the key is that you are going to meet the need more often than not. You're going to take the crib and that that caseworker is actually going to furnish you with the address. And what could be transactional could simply be a physical need being met, has the opportunity to be relational. Mm-hmm. And you get to offer prayer to this individual or you can simply say, hey, you know, the reason I do this is because I'm I'm Christian. I'm plugged into a church, and I just believe it's something God God loves you, and God loves us, and I have the opportunity to share. Whatever that looks like, um, we want to create that opportunity for that child to be served and that family to be served. In that example, that's really preventing a child potentially from going into care. Mm-hmm. I also mentioned that it's all monetized, meaning um, we we know the value. So, uh, for instance, in Gwinnett County, the county I mentioned earlier. Since uh, we launched Care Portal in the particular county in, in Gwinnett, um, in about a seven-month process, there's been roughly $100,000 of economic impact of the gifts made by a group of 19 churches. So it's a way to see um, the impact in terms of dollars, which uh, obviously um, gets people's attention. And um, Care Portal is growing. It's spreading across the U.S., and there's other organizations like us who are implementing it. Um, I think they're up to 14 states now. So that, that's a little bit on Care Portal. 
Yeah. And one of the things that I love and those who are out there listening, you know this about me, that these things aren't uh, transactional. You know, yeah, they are transact. They have a transaction, but it's relational. It's it's beyond that. It, the, the transaction is actually part of something bigger. In you know, in an in the ideal way that you're talking about. So you you know, talking about the curriculum, talking about the care communities, the care portal, all of that. You know, isn't simply hey, here's a bunch of stuff. Go do it on your own. It's hey, here's some curriculum. Let's talk through it. Let's work through it. Let's do that. Care portal, care community, all that. Hey, how can we actually start relationships that will hopefully be life giving on both sides? Um, Am I kind of, am I getting that right? You are getting it right. And I think that, um, you know, as, as an aside, just a sort of story about that. One of, one of the largest churches in, in our area, we went to them and shared about launching Care Portal as a component of their, their, their fam in that church. And they're really excited about it. And, and they said, what, how do we um, discern who should meet the request? And I said, it's interesting you would ask um, because some churches decide that they would want people of a certain level of training. Um, who Some churches even say they want folks who have some evangelism training or they have folks who want, um, who are just, I don't know, how do you measure compassion? But, <laughs> you know, you want to have a certain group of people who would come in and meet a request in a way that would be more assured of being relational and not just transactional. And so I kind of expressed how we, I'd seen that play out in some churches because it's up to those churches how they want to do that. And uh, this, this big church said, well, you know, I don't think we'd do that. I think we'd open it up to anybody who's coming in who's a part of our church because we would love for them to sense God's heart in this. By being an agent of God, by bringing resources to people in need, they're going to sense the Father's heart. And they're going to be drawn, even if some of them are just attending our church and, and and actually faith isn't something personal for them, um, they may grow in faith or come to faith as a response um, to seeing what God can do through them. And I just thought that was so cool to hear the different takes on churches as they use tools like Care Portal yeah. um, and what it, what it's going to mean for relationship. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, I, yeah, I, I get so excited because I just remember – I think it was the first time we met. It was just a little Chick-fil-A there. And I think it was off of, it was over in kind of east side of Atlanta. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't remember how we connected, but just hearing how much Promise has grown. I didn't think it was called Promise at the time, was it? It was called something else, I think, if I remember correctly. But um, uh, Maybe not making sense that day. It was Promise. But yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe I'm just forgetting or I'm making stuff up. But th- that never, that rarely happens. Usually I don't do that. But here I'm. I'm blowing it today, apparently. So, but, you know, I do remember that it was it's so much uh, bigger now as far as the impact, it seems. And, but also just the the vision and what, how you're living that out. It's, it's super exciting to me. So, um, hopefully that's encouraging to you, even though I Thanks. got the Appreciate name wrong or I was right, but I said it wrong. So, um, <laughs> but, Thanks. uh. Um, definitely want to transition here to, uh, you know, kind of what are the couple of the biggest issues, you know, with all that you're doing, with all the different people that you're in touch with, with, you know, I know we saw it, we saw each other at the CAFO summit. So just hearing, you know, with foster care, with adoption, with the wraparound care, with, you know, just people getting involved and, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of positive, but there's also some, some issues that we're facing together. Um, what do you think are a couple of the biggest issues and, and how can we face them together? How can we address them together? Well, that's, it's a really, um, loaded question and I appreciate that question. Um, I think, I think the biggest issue, um, for <clears throat> really for children is that, that many of the families who have jumped into this work uh, prayerfully sensing God's call, um, they just get beat down by it because it's tough. Uh, back to our, our joke on, on WebMD and, and a diagnosis, but uh, you know, it, it, it can be grueling work. Um, and I, I imagine um, other folks you've, you've had this podcast with have shared something similar. And, and so I think, I think meeting them with hope um, we certainly help them through care communities with physical needs, uh, but really meeting them with, with prayer and uh, reminding them of where they've been, been called and why they've been called in that space and that they're not alone. It's interesting, even our, our, our care communities can sometimes become transactional if we're not careful. And, and that's, 
uh, some of our, our, our foster families are well to do. Um, they've got the resources to pay for whatever it is that they would need. Mm-hmm. They don't need a care community because they can't order dominoes. They need a care community because they need to know they're not alone right. in it. And I think it's an, it can be an isolating work to become family to a child in need because that child obviously has come through a lot and a lot comes with that child. So I think that's, um, that's probably the biggest one. Um, more thinking just in terms of ministry and um, sort of the coalition of organizations that are out trying to come together to, to really take on child welfare in America in, in a really positive manner. I think being siloed is probably the, the biggest issue I see among the organizations that, that we hope to serve. Um, there, uh, there's a, a tendency to, to go it alone and not, not to work well together. Um, I rarely think it's intentional. Um, I think more often than not, it's just by virtue of getting, keeping our heads down and not looking around quite enough. But, um, you know, what we, we want to, um, we really vision, um, looking forward a, a Christian presence in child welfare that's more tightly defined than it is today. And um, even some of your work and, and what you've written and, and what you're doing by bringing different people together like like this, um, it connects organizations and it connects best practices and it creates efficiency. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about how we're going to move forward better um, as a team um, from organization to organization across the country and beyond. Yeah. And I love that answer. I, I, you know, we are definitely on the same page there. And I think, you know, we were talking before, you know, we're, we're recording this during the uh, World Cup, which is, you know, for me, one of the best times of, you know, every four years. But I think what it talks about, as with any sport that is a team sport, you know, when you know you're not alone, when you know you have a common goal, when you know what you're with other people who, you know, care about you and want you to flourish and want you to win and want you to do your best, and then you push each other to be better and you push each other to, you know, go that next extra step and go a little faster, go a little stronger, go a little bit better. That is, you know, sometimes just what gets you through a day, but it also sometimes is what makes you, you know, it helps you from being, you know, just good and average to being great in whatever it is that you're doing. And I, that definitely applies when we're talking about um, what we're talking about, but it also helps you get out of your silo when you know there are other people doing this work and you know they care about you and they know that, you know, you know that they're on your team. Um, it's, it's funny because I've asked this question many times and those of you who listen to this podcast, you know this is true. This answer said in a little different ways is pretty much um, said in some way in virtually every answer. Um, that we need to work better together. And I fully agree with that. Um, I'm excited. I've, I've talked about this book a few times already, but I haven't even read it yet. And I know it's going to be awesome because I know Peter. Uh, Peter Greer wrote uh, a book, Reading for Rivals. It's coming out uh, mm. in a few weeks from now, which is I think sometime in July. And, uh, and it's, gonna, it's just talking about this very thing, that we need to work together better. So anyway... Um, I know that was a question I asked you and I ended up answering it, you know, with you. Yeah. Hey, your answer is better than mine anyway. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but, but I think that, uh, it, it kind of proves the point, right? You know, if we work together, we can cover all sides of these things. Right. So, um, yeah. But to that, um, I think that because we are talking about a nascent movement within the church, not, not to say caring for children, vulnerable children is new to the church, mm-hmm. but in terms of the scope of what's being attempted right now. Uh, it's really big, uh-huh. and there are some great organizations that are are making um, sort of a national and international um, difference, um, and they're rallying people in local areas. And I think one of the things we are lacking as a, a big group is language, uh-huh. and I, I think we're going to have to develop more language to know the roles that different organizations and different people play, and the language that made sense. 10 and 15 years ago when the movement was smaller doesn't really work um, today. So to create efficiency, we got to get better. So what I mean by that, um, I don't know why we're stuck on the medical thing today, but um, I imagine there was a point in history where you couldn't go to a neurologist. I don't know a lot about the history of medicine, but let's just say that the word (laughs) neurology wasn't always around or certainly wasn't used by most people. Um, a primary care physician, yeah, it's something, I don't know, I think our insurance companies came up with it. 
at one point you just went to the doctor, right? You just went to the snake and doctor and they helped you out. But as the medical world has um, improved, gotten more impactful, gotten more specialized, we have a whole language of vocabulary for what different people do. And I, I think, I think that's where, um, at least for the folks that are kind of professionally committed to this work and might be listening, I think that's where we're going to go. We've got um, a lot of roles um, that we need to sort of craft and understand because that's can't really be efficient um, if you don't if you don't know what everybody around you actually does. And generic terms don't don't necessarily get it done in that case. Yeah, that's 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 great. I think that that's a whole different podcast. We can we can do a whole different whole another interview on that. Um, I totally agree with that. It's actually what the impetus for in pursuit of orphan excellence was was. I think people are using the same terms to mean completely different things. And I think to, to your point, there's also things that, you know, we need to come up with better definitions of things that exist, but we're calling them all the same things like orphanage, for instance, you know, means a whole lot of different things depending on where you are around the world. And we need to really start delineating between different types of them. And, and, uh, I think that's a great, great point. Um, what have you uh, been reading or or watching or listening to lately that has impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children? You know, I don't <laughs> I kind of laugh. I don't know if this was the right answer for your question, but um, my kids, being around my kids, uh, my oldest who uh, was failing out, um, and when she came to us, she had failed three years of high school, everything but one course. Um, she had had a teacher who looked her in the eye and just told her, you are just so lazy. And um, come to find out that in the absence of of a healthy family and really in the, in the absence of people who could advocate for her, um, nobody figured out that she um, had a sleep disorder. She was, is narcoleptic. Hmm. And that reality basically meant that she was tuning out most everything that was going on around her. She is bright. She is articulate. She is witty. She is really, really, really funny. I mean, I won't get a text during this interview and laugh, and you won't know I'm laughing. You'll think it's you, Phil. And it won't, <laughs> it'll be something from my, my oldest daughter. Uh, she is an incredible child and incredible young woman, um, but she, she needed to be found out and understood and seen. Um, she needed actually medical treatment. There it is again uh, with, with the narcolepsy thing. And so I, I think just – just seeing um, how children change when they have uh, people there to really listen and observe and advocate for them. And that's what parents do. We, we observe our kids. When the slightest thing is wrong, we go to battle on their behalf. And uh, that's those experiences like that, that particular one with her, that's what's really motivating me and uh, really influencing how I, I think about the quality of the, the care that the volunteers working through promise, um, deliver. Well, we, we got to really get in tune with the needs of individual children and help equip parents, um, and give them the margin so they can really hear their children well. So I don't know if that's the right answer in terms of what you anticipated, but that's, that's what hits the heart for me is, is my oldest daughter. Absolutely. There's no, uh, right answer or uh, wrong answer to that question. So you're, yeah, totally fine there. Um, however, the last question we have that we ask everybody is what person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence. So since you talked about your kids in particular, your daughter, is there anybody else that's really impacted your thinking, um, on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Yeah. You know, I, I thought a lot about, about that question. And, um, one of the relationships that's been very impactful for me has come through, um, a choice to be collaborative um, even in moments when it, it didn't make sense. And the more I reflected on the question, um, it, it is through engaging care portal as a tool and specifically working with, um, Adrian Lewis, um, who's a, a great voice for care portal across the country. I think in, in recent, uh, Andy Cook history, he's been an incredibly impactful person, um, to help me think through what, what the possibilities are for um, various organizations will really, really come together. But um, <clears throat> I think we had a very honest and uh, raw conversation early on when they were looking at introducing that tool to the state of Georgia. 
and I couldn't wrap my mind around the the impact on our brand at Promise 686 by bringing in another branded tool. And I, I was concerned there'd be confusion. And just through calling it as it is, raw conversation, really sorting out what role would Care Portal as a tool play, what role would Promise 686 have as an implementing organization, um, a lot of honest and even hard conversation really refined who we are as an organization. And we've got a strategic plan that's underway, which I won't bore you or the listeners with that right now. But, um, you know, so much of who we have become has been born out of an intentional desire to collaborate and um, finding great people to speak into who we are. And Adrian's a great example of that. Well, Thank you for uh, for that. Thank you for I, I love even that last answer. Just it goes right hand in hand with the idea of the collaboration that we talked about earlier. Right. You know, just the idea of we're so often thinking, how will this fit into our quote brand, our um, our organizational structure, whatever it may be, rather than thinking, you know, what 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 synergy could happen if we do this? Right. If we get over those hurdles and think what can what could happen? Um, rather than be protective and with a scarcity mindset, let's let's look in that abundance mindset and say, what could happen if if God really is in this and if God wants this to happen? I love it. Love that you're able to do that. Love that you did it. Um, and I uh, love seeing what's happened because you did. So um, anyway, thanks, Andy. Thanks for uh, for the conversation. Thanks for just sharing about what you're doing and and just being open and and vulnerable with uh, how. God has worked through you personally and professionally to really help others to uh, encourage them and, and help them in different ways. Well, you're absolutely welcome. Thanks for the work you're doing. And uh, to all the listeners out there, um, keep listening, keep keep thinking, keep praying, keep dreaming about what we can do for kids in, in this country and beyond, because I think we are really just um, on the very edge of, of where we can, can truly go. And there's, there's great things ahead. Well, thanks again, Andy. Uh, folks, you know, you really need to get to know Andy. If there's any way you're at a conference or something, you know he's there. Just reach out to him uh, because he's got a lot to teach you, and he's continually learning right alongside us. So, so Rick, you know, what did you learn from that? Man, I uh, I just I love the ministry of Promise 686 and, and what they have done, uh, you know, not only in the Atlanta area but around, around Georgia. Um, one one of the things that I think is a great lesson that we can learn from Andy and from their ministry is um, how they started in a particular direction, and um, you know really working with adoption funding, but have continued to grow and continue to evolve and continue to change um, as they have perceived the needs around them, mm. Mm. and you know and and they've not been afraid to to stop doing things and to start doing things um so long as those things fit within their mission and and really fit within their their sense of calling and i think that's a great lesson for all of us Mm. um you know as they have they've been fierce in protecting the mission but have held very loosely in uh you know like many of the ways that they accomplish that absolutely you know that's that's actually a word for you know my organization that we've We've have our mission, you know, to inspire and equip others to love orphaned and at risk children and their communities with excellence, right? And that's a broad mission, obviously. And so over the years, we've gone from having a community in Honduras to seeing a need and, and writing a book about best practices and then really seeing the expanded need to really talk about the interconnectedness. And that's what birthed this podcast. And I'm so thankful to our board that they've been, you know, willing to to be open to that, right? Like to say, we aren't just about this one thing where God's put us here to do stuff and we're, what are we uniquely equipped? What are we uniquely positioned to do? Yeah. And in that, that likely will change just as you as a human being change over the years, you know, if you're just sitting there going, nope. You know, if I just said, nope, I have a law degree. So therefore I am a lawyer. Then I wouldn't be talking to you right now. And I, you know, I just, I can't even imagine what it, what it would look like. It would be a totally different trajectory, right? And organizations are similar to that, right? They have their own cultures. They have their own lives. They have their own personalities. And they really have, you know, I think God takes you through different things to teach you um, different lessons that you will be able to take to that next stage. And I'm not saying that if an organization doesn't 
you know, transition to something else. They're a bad organization. But even like Randy Daniels a couple episodes ago with Buckner, they've done similar things. I know Lifeline has expanded and done different things, right? Um, Lifesong, done some different things that they've seen God putting in, in their in their step. And, and I'm not just throwing it out random organizations. These are all organizations I respect. And they're, they've, they've all transitioned, every one of them. And they've, it's, and I say transition, they've maybe evolved, morphed, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was something that's funny. Cause I, that's not something I had in my notes, but it's something that's such a huge part of, I think, be just being, being open hands saying, look, you know, God, what do you have for us? We aren't stuck in this one thing thinking we have to do it because it's what we've been doing. Absolutely, man. I, I think, um, you know, an, another thing just that I, I really have have loved about uh, about Andy and, and the ministry of Promise 686 is uh, kind of the whole concept of fam, mm-hmm. kind of that whole family advocacy mm-hmm. model that they use. And and and, you know, just this this idea that they I mean, they really do um, do an exceptional job of mobilizing all kinds of people in the church to to find a relevant place to be part of the equation of of living out um, care for orphan and vulnerable children and and so they they place all kinds of uh, emphasis on the church really using the gifts and talents and abilities of um, you know of lots and lots of people and and have found incredibly creative ways to do that I know you know his uh, his conversation about you know even about care portal and you know he mentioned Adrian Lewis who is again also a friend and um, you know somebody with Global Orphan Project who you know who we know and love and respect and um, and you know and, and and the way that they've been able to partner together with with go project um, in in the production or in the in the utilization of care portal um, even to take people who who ha- just have stuff you know that just have things that can be relevant in you know in the fight and finding a way to you know kind of network that across churches and across communities to you know to do that well and uh, and so I just man I love the heart that they function with and and the you know the drive and the zeal and 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 the fact that um, you know, they, there are certain people that you just come across that have, you know, your, your heart just kind of rings true with and, and Andy and the folks in his organization are certainly those kind of folks. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think that the idea of, you know, those, the care portal and the fam, um, you know, initiatives and, and that they, that they, that they are able to help organizations and churches implement, um, as he talked about, it's really the importance of care communities to know that you're not alone in all this hard stuff. And the importance of teamwork. And when we're on a team, great teams push teammates, push the team members to be better, right? And that is something that is critical in all this we're doing. And I, I even talked about it. I'll talk about it again. It's, it's kind of a, a bonus recommendation. I, I recommended it many times on the show, Rooting for Rivals. Um, I really do believe it should be required reading for anybody <laughs> because... It's just, it, it does such a great job. It's not just saying, here's some organizations that do stuff together. It's, you know, putting it in the context yeah. of a two by two chart and also, you know, puts reasons we don't collaborate and work with others into the context of the seven deadly sins. Yeah. Such a great, powerful book, you know, and, and like, that's what I thought of when I was hearing about how Andy and Promise 686 are really working with, with, churches and organizations to say, look, how can you work together? Here's some real ways you can work together. Here's some real ways people can, you know, know you're not alone in all this stuff. And, and here's something I think, and, and I don't know if you picked up on this, but when, um, you know, even when, when Andy was talking about, um, the conversation with, uh, with Adrian and with, uh, you know, with go project about care portal, mm-hmm. um, they didn't complete, completely see eye to eye on that conversation. Right. Uh, you know, he, he said there was like some friction and I didn't understand it. And there was, you know, there was a lot of back and forth. And, and, and the fact is that many times in ministry, I think we walk away from, from, 
from partnerships and we walk away from conversations that have the promise of being uh, healthy and collaborative and good because they're hard Mm -hmm. and and we don't do hard (laughs) conversations. And so rather than, you know, bearing with and pressing in, um, you know, we just kind of take our toys and go home. And and I think it, you know, it speaks to, um, you know, the dedication and and the, um, you know, really the 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 quality of uh, of of the ministry of both of those guys that they can testify to the fact they bore with that conversation and 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 the Lord used it to find a way to help them work together. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, any relationship you have, any and every relationship, like you don't agree on one hundred percent of the things in this world. Well, except for you and me. Well, right? that's that's. I was just thinking, actually, no. as you were saying that. Yeah. Like we should have an episode where we just figure out the things that we disagree on. We should just talk about it the entire time. Like that's all we do. Well, s- sports will be the place that we that start. That absolutely will. You guys have already heard it. Exactly. You don't understand the real football. And, you know, and I, I like, you know, American football. It's good. <laughs> but, you know, I don't understand the whole Alabama thing. There is exactly. Yeah. Even my wife and I don't agree on everything. You know, wow. I know, but she, but she's right on the stuff that she doesn't I, agree with. Absolutely. You about. Of course. Okay. Of good, course. Good. Except when she's I'm listening right, to this you know? podcast, yeah, like she's listening she, to this like podcast. She's, she hasn't read I, like my she's ever going to listen to your podcast, she but absolutely I'm in good stead if she does. To my podcast. And yeah. she did, you know, she's, good. she's like, I've read the, your part of the book, you know? Um, but she hasn't read the book. I mean, Play I this know. episode for her so that she can know that I support her. Uh, well, I will, I will. And she has, you haven't had the pleasure of meeting my beautiful wife yet, but, but I have no doubt that she will appreciate that and you'll be her favorite podcast host. <laughs> I have no doubt about it at that point, you know? So she might even listen yeah. to you in regular speed like that. Wow. Would be, that wow. would be huge. Nobody, nobody listens to a podcast so, in regular speed, but probably not. I mean, and she probably won't listen to it either, even, <laughs> even though, you know, but that's okay. She, you know, the couple of years ago, she actually gave money to another podcast. I was like, really? Wow. Like, really? She's like, well, <laughs> you get a good book or something. I'm like, I'll give you a free book. Give to our podcast. Like, that'd be something. <laughs> On that note, folks, if you want to give or your wife wants to give or your husband wants to give to a podcast, you can give to this podcast at ProvidenceWorld.com. So you can do that. Just I, That wasn't even planned. Just like the, right. you know, all kinds of stuff in this episode are not planned. We're not scripted. But I, I've been told that I don't do that enough. So And Phil might even send you a book. I You know, I might. If you give enough, I will send a book. And so I'll leave that up to you to know what enough is to get a book or you can buy it on Amazon probably for cheaper than what enough would be. But either way, you know, you can give. So anyhow, folks, you know, do you have anything else to say about Andy? We kind of got a little off there, which is shocking that you and I would get off off script a little bit. No, I just uh, just the fact that that I, um, you know, I would encourage people to really pay attention to what they're doing. I and folks that are, if you're thinking about doing some kind of a, uh, you know, a, a, an alliance of churches or a cooperative of churches that are going to do orphan care together in a community, um, get in touch with Andy and the folks that are part of Promise Six Eighty Six because they they can help you to do it well, yeah. um, and and they they are a great template to follow. Absolutely, uh, yeah. And another, and I'll tell you what, another one that I'm just going to do a shout out to, to my great friend, uh, Tiffany Leffler here in, in Northern California in Sacramento yeah. area with the defending the cause Alliance as well. It's, it's another great example. Um, and so folks, they're out there. If you're in an area and you're like, I just want a, an example of what it looks like to get a, an Alliance that's actually doing stuff together and isn't just, you know, meeting, you know, whatever, like a you know, Rotary Club that just meets, you know, not all Rotary Clubs do that. A lot of Rotary Clubs do some great stuff, but, but, you know, there's a lot of alliances that just meet, you know, and then there's some that do a lot of great stuff together. And I was just at a dinner the other night with the Defending the Cause out there. It's defendingthecause.org. It's out here in Sacramento area. And, uh, just a fantastic example of what it can look like. And so if you don't have a good group of churches and organizations in your area that are meeting together regularly and doing stuff together regularly, I, I strongly encourage you to make it happen. You know, you can be that, that impetus to do it. So with that, I'm going to do another recommendation on a book talking about how we're not gathering together as much. This book was, is, it's interesting. This book, uh, was written about the turn of the century. It's called Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam. Mm. And, you know, it's talking about 
it's inter- it's really interesting because it was written before kind of that real like recent technology like we're married to our phone type stuff right and it's a different screen it talked about television as the screen that was taking people away from community i thought it was really interesting because i think that's been exaggerated with the onset of phones and the internet at the level that it's kind of taken over right um i'd be really curious for him to update it but it's very much it's a very it's a, it's a pretty heavy read it's an economic book um more, as much as it is talking about community it's just talking about the economies of different things but a really really good book um i don't know if you've read it because it was a while back so you may have read it i'm just throwing it out there have you read it Rick? I have not. Okay. So I had, you know, obviously hadn't either. I read it recently and I was, it was recommended to me by, by someone I respect. And, and, uh, he said this would be very good for you to read, to get a, kind of get an idea of some of the, the reasons why a lot of people aren't, aren't meeting together as much. And obviously it's called bowling mm. alone and the con a lot of people don't even know millennials might not even know about bowling leagues. Um, I remember I was on one when I was 10. <laughs> if you go to a bowling alley, you'll see a bunch of people that are much older than you. If you're a millennial that are bowling together, um, groups of four, typically sometimes two. Um, I was in a league when I was 10 called the hot doggers. It was fantastic. Why was it called the hot doggers? You got a free hot dog after you bowl. It was great. So yeah, it was fantastic. And so even if you stunk it up, which I did very often, um, you got a hot dog and a soda. So it was, it was pretty cool. So anyway, but that was going on when I was 10. You don't see bowling. You don't see 10 year olds bowling together in a league very often. Right. You know, now we do have youth sports, which is great, but we're just not. And it's talking about the reasons why and how we can hopefully bring it back. And, you know, so I encourage you to read it. It's a good recommendation. I'm not going to get into all the, all the details about it, but, um, for those of you who rather just go and kind of get a summary of it, you can Google it and you can get a summary of it. And that would probably, honestly, for most people would probably be enough. You get the idea, you get the concept and, uh, it's, it's definitely worth your time to at least do that. So with that, Rick and I are going to sign off right now. And, you know, I just thank you for your download and I hope and pray that you'll take everything you learned today, everything you're learning as you read, as you watch different things. Hopefully you're taking some of these recommendations that we give you and uh, you're using them to help you understand how you can love orphaned and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. And for all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening. And we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.